is happening now as we speak. Okay, it's happening all over the world right now. I'm saying um, the, the bombings, the, the synagogues and temples are being, you know, I mean, um, the neo-Nazi party is going on right now. Um, that's why it's important to nip it in the bud before it gets too too big. I'm saying uh, it's happening right now. Will it, will, will it happen to the same extent? Who knows? Okay. That's why you have to when you see a fire. Okay, you put it out when it's small. You let it get too big, you can't put it out anymore. Then you get burnt, then everybody else gets burnt too. But yes, I think it's happening right now. Yes. That was Dr. Jack Witter, and this is the Voice of Bombella podcast. The Voice of Bombella podcast. Welcome to the Voice of Mombelo podcast. Today we have something very special to share with you. In our fifth grade classes, we have been learning about the Holocaust and reading an extraordinary book called Number the Stars. We have also read articles about the dangers of the Holocaust for the Jewish people and the Allies who risked their lives to hide them. It is impressive and inspiring to hear stories from the Holocaust survivors. To me, they are like heroes because they overcame so many tragic moments to survive, to tell the story so that we can learn to treat one another with empathy and respect. Today, you will hear our interview with Holocaust survivor Dr. Jack Wetter, a very special educator and a member of our Maglone community. Ms. Peleg set up this interview so we can hear a first-hand account of what happened during the Holocaust and the effects it had on the people who survived. The interview was so interesting and it was excited because many of our classmates had the opportunity to ask questions. He talked to us about how he overcame challenges and obstacles in his life to become a successful psychologist who shared his story to inspire others. The interview was very special. I was impressed with his storytelling and how he inspired me with his words. We hope you enjoyed the interview with Dr. Jack Wetter. I was born in Brussels, Belgium, and I'm going to tell you my story in three different parts. The first part is from age zero to three, which I don't remember, obviously, but my parents told me about it. Um, so I remember what they told me, and I'm going to share that with you. Second part is three um, to about seven years of age, and the third part is seven years of age to now. Is that pretty clear? Uh, so let's begin. Let's talk about my parents. My father was born in a small town in Poland uh, called Zolkiewa. Um, he was a furrier. Somebody asked me in California, uh, what's a furrier? I guess we don't wear fur coats here. It's not politically correct to wear fur coats. Um, but he made fur coats. So he came from a very, very large family. These are my paternal grandparents, my father's parents. Unfortunately, I never met these people, my, my grandmother and my grandfather. They were all deported to concentration camps and all killed. But at least I have pictures of them to know what they look like. Uh, this is my dad's dad, and my dad's mom. Never met them, unfortunately. My father had three brothers and three sisters. This is his family. Um, uh, remember the man on the left, we'll talk about him later on. Willie, Esther, my father, other sister, my father's parents. Again, my father's family. On the left-hand side is my father's oldest brother, Jack. Um, and I'm named after him, little boy, Gary and his wife. Um, and at the bottom is my father in, in Italy. Why in Italy? Well, he started to leave a small town of Zolkeva 
and go to Italy and start a fur business. He wanted, you know, go to a big city. By the way, all the people you see other than my father were all killed in concentration camps. Even little Gary also all deported and killed in concentration camps. Remember Willie, the youngest brother in the family? I told you about him. Well, he was uh, he decided to learn the business um, and he decided to leave uh, Zolkeva and come to Milan, Italy and shadow my father, learn the business with my father. But he was the baby of the family and he was homesick. So he decided to go back uh, to his family and wrote my father this letter, which my father kept all these years. And now I have. And basically it says, Lee Isaac, my father's name is Isaac. Um, uh, I'm back home now. Mom sends regards, dad sends regards, brothers and sisters, love you. We hope the business is doing well. We look forward to seeing you soon. Uh, and uh, we miss you very much. That was the last communication my father received from anybody in his family. After that, radio stopped, but they were all deported and killed. On the left-hand side is my father. Uh, that's his visa picture, passport picture, from Milan, Italy, to a city called Antwerp, Belgium. On the right-hand side is a picture of my mom. Believe it or not, she was only 18 in this picture. And she decided to leave Czechoslovakia. Uh, uh, she was born in Czechoslovakia, and come to a city called Antwerp, Belgium. She worked for a company called the Beers Diamond. It was a big diamond company. Still is in Antwerp. And she was a diamond polisher. Uh, my father and her started dating. Um, and uh, they fell in love. And they got married. They got married in 1939. Unfortunately, my mother has no pictures of her parents and her sisters. She had two sisters and two brothers. They were also killed, but she never had any pictures. So I never saw any family from my mother's side, only from my father's side. Here's their wedding picture. Uh, and shortly after they got married, Hitler, Adolf Hitler, had already invaded uh, Belgium. Uh, all the borders were closed, uh, and they had to find a place to hide. Most of you know the story of Anne Frank, I'm sure. You know the story of Anne Frank? Yes? Okay. Um, uh, well, Anne Frank's father, Otto Frank, owned the factory, as you probably remember. And he was able to hide the family in, in the attic of the factory. My father didn't own the factory. Uh, he didn't know where to hide us. Uh, so... Uh, he looked around and spoke to somebody else, somebody else, somebody else. He knew a woman who had a house. Uh, oh, by the way, uh, I'm sorry. Uh, after Hitler invaded uh, Belgium, all the, world, all the Jews had to register uh, that they were Jewish, so they would know who's Jewish, what they did, and where they lived. These are the actual documents. My mother and my, my dad, where they lived, it says Jew, what they do, blah, blah, blah. Okay? So I guess you can find out who's Jewish. Um, so uh, my father knew, knew this woman who knew another woman was willing to hide two couples, my father and my mother, my mother's girlfriend, um, her name Helen also, um, in uh, the basement of her house. And you see the flower bed there in the bottom of that picture? Behind that is a little dark area. That's the basement, okay? Total of 200 square feet. And if you know how much 200 square feet, it isn't very much. Two, two families, four adults, not yet, brushing all the four, uh, four adults um, uh, hiding in 200 square feet. Never leaving, ever, okay, except one time, which we'll talk about later on. Um, very difficult times. Uh, Sam, Helen's husband, okay, developed claustrophobia. Anybody know claustrophobia is afraid to, to leave, afraid to go out in tight quarters, like an elevator. Well, he wants to get out. Well, you couldn't let him out because once you go out through that door, the German Gestapo officers were circling around their Jeeps, okay? They knew exactly who lived in that house. Guess who lived in that house? The wife of a German officer, the wife of an SS guard who didn't know that his wife was hiding two Jewish couples in the basement of her house. How is that possible? Well, he worked in the German army. Um, he came home once a month to visit his wife and his four-year-old daughter at that time. When he came home, 
She put both couples in the lower basement of four of rats and vermin away from him, the German shepherd dog. And when he left after one night, she put him back up in the spacious 200 square feet basement. All the food, all the news, anything by the outside world came from this woman. Okay. Matter of fact, they found out um, to uh, that their entire family, I don't know how they found out, in Poland, Czechoslovakia were all killed. My mother had a sister, Frida, um, in Brussels, who loved to go dancing, clubbing, and everything else. She was really a fun party girl. My mother asked her, please, please come into hiding with us. Even though it's tight quarters, I want you to be safe. And Frida said, no, I can't. I, I got to be free as a bird. I can't be locked up in a 200 square foot basement. And she found out two weeks after they moved in that Frida was shot dead going to a club at Edgeworth. So from very large families, my mother, my father, always left my mom and my dad. Same thing with Helen and Sam. All the families killed. Helen and Sam, my mother and dad, and 200 square feet. Both Helen and my mom were bored. They were young women. Didn't know what to do. There's no radio. There's no TV. There's nothing. Like I said, all the food, all the news came from this woman. Well, what did they do? Decided to get pregnant. Not a good time to get pregnant in the middle of World War II. No. Okay. Can't go to a hospital because you're, you don't exist. You're Jewish. You're in hiding. Uh, well, the woman in the house knew a Jewish doctor, and she smuggled her into the basement of the house uh, to give both mothers to be advice what to do once they're into labor, once they're going to give birth to babies. And the advice is as follows. When you feel you're about to give birth, uh, let me know, uh, let the woman know, and we'll bring a garbage truck to the back of the house, and we'll smuggle you to the hospital. Uh, and that's how we're going to do it. Uh, uh, but most important, my mother always told me this when she was alive, most important, when you get to the hospital, do not talk. Why? Because on every floor of the uh, returning wing, when babies are born, okay, um, every floor, there are Gestapo guards. And the nurses in labor and delivery are mandated or required to report any woman in labor and delivery who has an accent other than French or Flemish. Remember, I told you the language is spoken in Belgium. So my mother, of course, had a very heavy Czechoslovakian accent, so she didn't talk. In those days, when you go to the hospital with a baby, you don't go for one or two days, you go for 10 days. So for 10 days, she didn't talk. And I was told during those 10 days, my father was going crazy because he didn't know, couldn't visit her because he didn't exist. Did she have a boy? Did she have a girl? Is she alive? Is she dead? I had no idea. He was going nuts. Um, she said she had laryngitis, so she couldn't talk. Something my mom shared with me during the course of her life over and over again, as when she was about to give birth to me, they wheeled her into the labor room. There was a woman next to her, and the woman did talk, and she did have an accent. And the nurses had to report her to the Gestapo. The Gestapo came to the room, waited till she gave birth to baby girl, burned the baby girl alive from the mother, and shot her dead in front of my mother while she gave birth to me. I mean, to this day, 77 years later, I, I can't even imagine what that's like, but she didn't talk. The tenth day came, the garbage truck came back to the hospital again and took us back to a place of hiding. Helen, my mom's roommate, already had her baby, Joe. So now 200 square feet are four adults and two babies. I was told I was a perfect baby. I never cried. I was really good. But Joe, who's a month younger than me, did cry. He had colic. And when he cried, I cried. Both of us cried. Parents were free. They'd roll up socks and put them in our mouths. Why? Because again, the Gestapo cars are circling around the area. And they're wondering, why do we hear babies crying? There's no babies here. Just the wife of a German officer, Gestapo. And his daughter, there's no babies crying. So they'd pray that they wouldn't be heard. They'd blow up socks and just hold their breath. When the Gestapo sirens went away, they took the socks out. Very difficult situation. Both moms wanted to have pictures of the babies while they were in hiding. 
So they smoke within two photographers. Here I am, cute, huh? That changed a little bit. Six months of age, okay. Uh, one hiding. Um, uh, all the food, again, came from this woman. As far as going out for some fresh air, she would take me out once a week after midnight. Nobody would see her for about a half hour walk. She would take out Joe once a week for a half hour walk. Okay? When the husband's, when her husband came home, she put all six people in the basement again. The father had to stay up all night uh, to uh, make sure the rats wouldn't be nibbling at the baby's extremities. Uh, it was a really bad situation in the lower basement. When the husband went home, back upstairs again. Very stressful situation. Um, quite often they ran out of food. Um, uh, dysentery, babies got sick, difficult situation. I'm glad to be honest with you, I don't remember any of that. I'm just told. One day, my dad shared the story. The little girl was then five years old, says, Mommy, I think I hear noises upstairs, uh, downstairs. And I'll tell daddy when he gets home. Not a good idea. So the mother, woman came down and said, I can't do this anymore. Don't give me any more money. Don't give me any more jewelry. My father, my mother had diamonds. Don't give me anything. You have to leave this time. You have to go. At that time, that front door, this was taken much later, was made out of bevel glass, okay? Uh, so we packed our bags, and we had to leave. Leaving means getting killed right away for the front door. The, the door was made out of bevel glass. It was 11 o'clock in the morning, my dad told me, and the sun was shining. And it was shining through the glass and sort of refracted through the glass. It must, I was a year old then, 1944, and it hit my eye, and I started crying. It was a burn. You know, sometimes when the sun hits your eye, it burns. And she thought I was crying because she was putting us back in the basement. Uh, put, put us down the street to get killed. She let us go back downstairs again. So most days in Los Angeles, when it's sunny, 11 o'clock, I think about that. Because that sun literally saved 600 million women. Okay. 1945, the war is over. The woman says, you're free to go. I'm five years old. Uh, we skipped it. We saw that. Here I am. I'm two years old. My father and my mother. Me. Can anybody guess? Look at the picture carefully. And we'll talk about two things. Can anybody in any of the classrooms guess what's unusual about this picture? Boys wear shorts in Belgium. Um, isn't that? Anybody want to guess? Teachers alike? Very good. Very good room. Um, it's been, um, I had no son for two years. So no sons. Therefore, I had rickets, okay? Because um, I didn't have enough vitamin D from the sun. So my legs were really uh, turned in. Uh, and uh, as a result of that, they thought I had to have surgery because I could hardly walk through rubbing together. But after the war, my mother took me to doctors, got a vitamin D shots, a lot of vitamin, a lot of sunshine. Got gorgeous news that I didn't have to have uh, any surgery. Something else that isn't so obvious in these pictures, I don't look very happy in that picture, do I? No. And I have this grip of my parents' hands, okay, uh, tightly. Why? Because to me, the world was a dark room, a cellar. No noise, no sounds, um, just okay. Now the war is over. My parents used to big cities, uh, carnivals, clowns, buses. I'm going, what is going on? This is not the real world. Uh, so it was quite frightening. Uh, I told you that I got over my bad knees. Something didn't go away. Everybody knows what scoliosis is. Scoliosis is a curvature of the spine. This is not my spine. This is a normal spine. X-ray of my spine. This is my spine, unfortunately. I've got a 55-degree curvature of my spine. Why? Again, because vitamin D deficiency, no sunshine. That didn't go away. It keeps me a lot of pain all the time. Okay, both my mom and Helen only had one child each. I wonder why after what they went through. But here I am, uh, four years old by dad. Okay, starts a fur business again. And now I've got to go to school. Um, uh, now I'm three, about four years old. 
Now remember, here comes the next step. From, from now on, I remember what happened. So what I'm going to share with you now is my own memory, not my parents. Um, the only school left in Belgium, in Brussels, where we live, was a Catholic school. Well, I'm Jewish, uh, and I had to go to school. So I was the only Jewish kid in this Catholic school taught by nuns. This is the school, at least saint Julien, Church of saint Julien. These nuns were not nice ladies, okay? Um, they didn't like me because I was Jewish. Uh, the kids didn't like me because I was Jewish. Here I am. Anybody want to guess where I am? Anybody want to take a wild guess? Go ahead. Where? Wild guess? Uh, everybody picks him. I don't know why. No, it's the one in the middle next to him, bending over. See the little boy in the middle there? On the left of, uh, of the uh, boy with striped shirt. Here I am, right over here. That's where I am. Okay, first memory of my life. This is what I remember. The nuns, who looked like they were six foot two tall, compared to little kids, would pass out these uh, patterns of apples and bananas and pear, little wooden, you know, fruits, and we had a trace around them. Um, and that was, would be a good boy. I say, Hail Mary every day. We prayed like the other kids, but couldn't fit in. Didn't belong. Remember, I didn't belong. Uh, and the nun came to me and said to me in French, where's your banana pattern? I go, I don't know. She said, see the scissor here? Scissor here. I'm going to cut your tongue off if you don't find the banana. And all the kids started saying, um, oh, tongue off, tongue off, tongue off, screaming. And I believed her. And she was holding the scissor back and forth, back and forth. I can sit here. She cut it. Look at the floor. Try to find a banana, which I probably was never given in the first place. Well, I couldn't find a banana pattern. She didn't cut my tongue off, obviously. How can I be a psychologist if she cuts my tongue off? But she sent me to Mother Superior's office, who didn't have a scissor, but she had a huge yardstick of a ruler. Bam, bam, five times in the knuckles, swelled up right away for losing the banana, which I probably would never give in the first place. I went home to my mom, said, Regardez, regardez, look, look, look. My hands were all swollen. Back to Glee I had to go back to school. I'm not happy. Again, the kids didn't talk to me, didn't belong, wasn't part of a group. When finally I graduated at San Julian, I went to the first grade. Okay, anybody want to guess where I am here? I'm in the first row uh, in front of the teacher. That's me. Uh, again, only Jewish kid in school. Uh, the kids would call me Saljuif, which means dirty Jew in French. They'd lock me out in the outside bathroom stalls. Um, I couldn't get out, yelling dirty Jew. Um, I went home to my mom saying, what's, what's dirty Jew mean? Why are they calling me Saljuif? She goes, you got to go back to school. Not happy. Didn't belong again. Didn't have any friends. Being an only child, I was lonely. Now it's 1950. I'm almost seven years old. And the Korean War breaks out. Uh, and my father says, we can't stay in Belgium anymore. We have to go to a big, large country that will protect us. What's a big, large country that protects people? What's the name of it? The United States, right? So uh, September 15, 1950, Jack Letter and his parents were the Queen Elizabeth I from La Havre, France to New York City. He moved to New York City. And the only English I knew was Bye Bye Cowboy. I kept on saying it over and over again. I must have seen a Western thing. Bye Bye Cowboy, Bye Bye Cowboy. People on the ship were going to throw me overboard. They'll say Bye Bye Cowboy 5,000 times a day. So I was excited. But I remember November 15, 1950, it was cold in New York. And I was on the deck of the QE1. It was a boat. And I saw the Statue of Liberty welcoming us. And uh, I was happy to be in a big city in New York. My parents lived in a rooming house with a couple who spoke English and Yiddish as their language. My parents spoke tons of languages, but no English. So they communicated with people in Yiddish. So Jack learned Yiddish before he learned 
English. I wish it was Spanish or something. Anyway, so I spoke Yiddish and English. But now it's second grade. I've got to go to school. Uh, my mother's realized boys in America in November don't wear shorts and don't wear bobby pin in their hair. Uh, so I went to school and the kids go, who's this weird dude? He's wearing shorts. He has a weird accent. Um, he's got bobby pin in his hair. Again, no friends. Didn't belong. But I had a very special teacher. You know how we have special teachers in our lives that we remember? I'm sure you do too. Uh, my second grade teacher was Mrs. Helfand, the first American teacher. Uh, what's a typically first thing a teacher does at school, in elementary school? First thing every day. Anybody? How about Pledge of Allegiance? A roll call? Not Mrs. Helfand. Mrs. Helfand would turn around and write this on the blackboard every day for years. Okay. Apparently, uh, I met somebody at the museum where I lecture, and she had her five years before me, and she would write the same thing. Are you ready to hear what Mrs. Helfand wrote on the blackboard every day? Obviously, I remember. Maybe now you remember it too. She's right, good, better, best. Never let it rest. The good becomes better and better becomes best. There's nothing wrong with that, right? Except Jack, who wanted her to adore him because the kids didn't, busted her guts to try to make her really, really happy um, and, and uh, proud of him. Uh, and um, had stomach aches and headaches. I was so worried I wasn't doing well enough. Always worrying. My father started a fur business again in New York City, Manhattan. And he opened up offices in Germany and Greece. They traveled back and forth, back and forth between Europe and New York. When he left, my mother became quite depressed. You know what she went through when she gave birth to me, I told you. She lost her entire family. New York can be a pretty scary place sometimes. Um, so it was my job putting on a little chubby suit and saying, don't cry, Mama took out on dates, movies, and everything else to try to cheer her up. Father came back home. She was okay. Father left again. She became depressed. I was so anxious about that that I had terrible stomach aches. I took me to a big hospital in New York called Mount Sinai Hospital. And the age of um, seven or eight, I had a colonoscopy. Those of you probably don't know what that is, but the adults know what that is. They didn't use flexible rods, they used steel rods. So I remember colonoscopy really well. Nothing wrong with my stomach. So they referred me to a psychologist. The psychologist evaluated me. The diagnosis was premature adult. Couldn't cry as a baby. Socked in my mouth. Had to be a good boy. Um, I didn't pay attention, I had to take care of my mom and everything else. So they gave me some medication, calmed me down, and it was fine. Well, now I became an American citizen. I lose my accent. I wear long pants. I'm cool. We moved to a place called Forest Hill in New York. I get bought mitzvah. Um, I'm 17 years old now. Um, and I'm in my last semester of high school. Eventually, you guys will know that is. Uh, last semester, my father says, uh, it's cold here to me in New York. We want to go to where? California. I go, Dad, I have friends here. I'm going to go to college here. I'm happy here. Uh, well, you want to stay here, Jack? No, no, I'll go with you. So Jack went and moved to California, age 17, the last semester of high school. Everybody knows each other. Everybody is friends with each other. All the prom dates are all picked up. Again, I don't know anybody. Um, happened in elementary school, happened in kindergarten. I'm not happy. But thanks to Mrs. Helfam, I get good grades. I get accepted to UCLA. Excuse me. I moved into dorms at UCLA and I'm like everybody else. I, it's the best time of my life. I'm wearing long pants, I'm an accent, I joined fraternity, I'm happy, I'm like everybody else. My major is psychology. I wonder why. Psychology is a study of human behavior. Maybe what happened to me made me decide to go to become a psychologist. 1968. I mean, it's a very lovely lady. Show you next slide. This is not those of you old Mary Tyler Moore or Annette Francello. This is my wife. Um, Helen, okay. Helen uh, was born in Germany um, after the war, okay. Her parents were in Auschwitz, survived Auschwitz, got married in Auschwitz, concentration camp, and came to a place called Boyle Heights here in Los Angeles, California. 
when she was a year old. So she had none of the hang-ups that I do, okay? Uh, and the man next to her, I think, is me, okay? Um, so Helen and I got married in 1968. We've been married 53 years um, this coming month. Helen still has friends when she was in kindergarten, uh, um, which is nice. Okay. So we're married. Now we have two children. Children. Uh, my son, who's also a psychologist, is 50 years old. Wow. And my daughter, who is also an elementary school teacher, is 46 years old. So we have our whole family, my parents, uh, Helen's parents, my kids. Um, I'm happy. I have brothers. I have fraternity brothers. I'm happy. I work at UCLA. I've become a director of psychology in the Department of Pediatrics at UCLA. Um, I train psychologists to become psychologists. I train pediatricians how to speak to patients. I'm very happy. One day I get a call. My secretary says, Dr. Wetter, you have a place a call from Shoah Foundation. Uh, you probably don't know what Shoah Foundation is. Uh, anybody here? Steven Spielberg? I'm sure you have. Steven Spielberg founded Shoah. Okay. And the job of Shoah was to interview and videotape all the survivors from all over the world. Okay. So we have documentation of what happened. Um, a lot of people believe the Holocaust never happened. They're called Holocaust deniers. So they called me up saying, Dr. Wetter, we'd like to come to an interview. I go, I'm not a Holocaust survivor. I don't have any numbers in my hand, on my arm. Yes, you are. You're a child in hiding. We'd like to come over. I said, sure, come on over. Bring makeup, bring hair. I'm fine. I've done TV before. Come on over. So a month passes by, two months pass by, a year, two years, five years. I've left UCLA now. I'm in private practice in Westwood. Which is an area here in Los Angeles. I got a call. My secretary says, Dr. Wetter, show up foundation on the phone. I go, okay, Pastor, what happened? But we had to get to the older ones first before they pass on. Uh, I am a volunteer at the Museum of Tolerance here in Los Angeles. Out of all the survivors, I'm the youngest one. Most of them are 80s, quite a few 90s, and unfortunately, quite a few passed away. So they had to get to the older ones before they passed away. They came to me and they interviewed me, um, videotaping, asking questions. And basically, I told them, but I'm telling you, um, and they gave me a, a, a what's called VHS, a copy of the interview, like a CD or DVD. And I went home and I watched it over and over again with my family and my kids. And at the end, I went, oh my God, I am a survivor. I just hearing myself talk, this shouldn't have happened. I have no grandparents, I have no aunts and uncles, I have, many, I have no cousins. This is wrong. I just felt really, really bummed about this. Now, remember Joe? Joe was a boy who was born also at the same time I was. Joe, unfortunately, has had a hard time dealing with this. He goes back every year to Belgium. The picture of the house I showed you comes from him. He goes back every year, takes 90 different angles of the house we're hidden in. It's used the granddaughter of the woman who hit us. I have no idea what grandmother did. Trying to find out why. Very angry, very upset. I wasn't as bad as Joe, but I was, I was bummed. I was, it was wrong. It was, I go to my fraternity brother's Christmas dinners and Thanksgiving dinners and friends. Big family. I don't have a big family. I could have. Yeah, not happy. Because of my work at UCLA, uh, I traveled a lot, lecturing all over the world. I decided to go to Belgium, not to go to the house we were hidden, but to go to get a copy of my birth certificate. Uh, this is a copy of my birth certificate. Um, and I go to City Hall. I'm very excited. I don't know why. It's almost like I'm legitimate. And they take out a copy in 1943, blow the dust off, and they say, please make a copy. And they do. I go outside the building. I'm reading it. My name is, my birth name is Shaki. Letter, birthday, mother's name, father's name. Then it says, delivered by two midwives and father not present, father went fishing. I wasn't delivered by two midwives. I was delivered by the Jewish doctor who delivered me. My father didn't go fishing. My father was in hiding. This was wrong. I went inside, said, wrong, 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 change it. I want to change, I want it. it's wrong. 
He said, sorry, sir, legal document, we can't change. I was ready to burn the building down. I was so upset. I don't know why it bothered me, but it really bothered me. Um, this is wrong. About three years ago, one of the people in the audience where I was lecturing in the museum, a woman uh, asked me, do you think maybe the Jewish doctor falsified your birth certificate to protect her from delivering Jewish babies and protect you? I don't know. I called up Joe, pull out your birth certificate. What does it say? Guess what? Delivered by two midwives, father not present, father went fishing. Same thing. I learned that three years ago in the museum. So questions are very, very important. Um, when I retired about eight years ago, I had a lot of time on my hands. I didn't know what to do. So I decided to go and volunteer at the museum and be a docent. And in order to be one, you have to audition to make sure you can speak. I tend to speak a little fast. I listened to my fellow survivors who were older. Listen to their stories. They tell what happened to them. And I went, oh my God. I don't know, how many of you saw the movie Schindler's List? Or, I mean, they saw their parents being gassed, cousins being killed, sisters being killed. It was horrible. And I went to the director and I said, how can I talk about me? I was just going to sell it. No, you've got a story to tell. We want you to be a Holocaust survivor speaker. So for the past 10 years, I've been doing that. And something very strange happens, you know, and I love doing it. Because by my sharing my story with you, you become my witness, okay? And by you being my witness, somebody hears your story, they become their witness. You know what happened. They'll hear your story about me. They'll know what happened too. But something strange happens. I never take a nap. Even when I travel far away, I'm never tired. Every week when I go to the museum and I give my one-hour story, okay, I come home and I'm exhausted. And I take a nap. So on some level, some physiological, psychological level, it still must be bothering me, even though I'm fine now. I tell you, after I stop talking to you, I'll be tired. So it must be still affecting me in some way. And you know, whenever anything, anything happens in the United States, like the Columbine or Sandy Hook uh, situation, or 9-11 type situation, I am frozen. I am so fearful of what happened. Uh, and it brings me back. Matter of fact, when I go back to Europe, I don't know if you're aware of this, but uh, the sirens, those of you who may have gone to Europe, uh, of the police cars today, when the fire trucks sound very similar to the sirens, police cars of the Gestapo cars then. Not like ours. It's like, da, 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 da. My wife says when she's with me, I hear that, I freeze about 30 seconds, break into a cold sweat, and then I'm okay. But it still affects me. I don't like those sirens. I'm sure it goes back when I was two years old and they put us, in, you know, socks in the mouth, they heard those sirens, really freaked out, I'm sure. I want to share something else with you. When I went to graduate school at UCLA, uh, in order to pay for the tuition, which was then $75 a semester. Uh, I worked in a library. UCLA, right across the street from a Catholic school called uh, Mary Mount. And the nuns would come and study the library and grade papers. And they wore habits, what the nuns wear. Uh, and they would come to check out books. My job, my buddy's job was to check out books. As they came to me, waves of nausea came over me. As they, they were nice ladies. As they backed away, you know, they were fine. They came back. I lost six pounds in one week. Uh, I think, again, post-traumatic stress of what happened before. Uh, it stayed with me. I'm better with nuns now, I think. Uh, I hope so. Here I am teaching graduate students at UCLA about the Holocaust. I do a lot of that now. And here's the Museum of Tolerance. Here are all the survivors. If you ever come to Los Angeles, please let me know. Write to me. And to be my guest, the parents, family come and actually visit the museum. A very interesting museum. Um, there are all the pictures of survivors there in the museum. Here I am, actually, in the museum. Same sweater. Oh, okay. Now, I told you we have a small family in my life. We have a larger family now. This was taken a few years ago. We have three grandchildren. 
Rachel, Leah, and Michael, uh, and Sean. Sean just had a bar missile last year, so it's an old picture. But I want to share with you, uh, Leah, the middle one, saw the movie Sound of Music. Anybody see Sound of Music? I'm sure most of you saw the movie Sound of Music. Yes? <laughs> anyway, uh, there's a scene in Sound of Music where Captain Von Trapp comes back in his honeymoon with uh, Sister Maria, the wife, and the German swastika flag is hanging outside his villa, and he rips it down. He's just so angry. The Austrians are taken over by the Nazis. And Leah says, is that what you mean, Grandpa? Is that what happened? So I don't want to scare my grandkids, okay? But I want them to know my story. I'm not going to be around forever. So I want them to know what's going on so they can carry it on the next generation. That's very, very important to me. Very important to me. That is my story. Um, and I'm hoping you guys can ask me some questions and learn from you. Thank you for listening. Hi, my name is Leah, and I have a question for you. What happened to the kids that were trying to run away? There was, there was, uh, there was another family uh, later that was hiding. His name was Job. And he's alive today, lives in New Jersey, okay? He's a retired professor, um, and he's okay. But he's very, 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 very sad uh, because of what happened. That's a good question. Did I ask your question? Did you have to wear a Star of David? No, Nikiva, that's a good question. Thank you for asking it. Uh, the only people who wore Jewish stars uh, were the ones who went outside the house, you know, who were in the streets, okay? We never, if you remember, I never left the place of hiding except at nighttime after midnight. So we never, no, nobody had to wear a Jewish star. What was it like hiding from the Nazis? What was it like hiding from the Nazis? Well, like I told you, I don't remember that, fortunately, but I'm sure it was terrifying. Um, I'm sure that a lot of my anxieties, maybe Mrs. Pellick can relate to that today, uh, um, as a Cindy Pellick, I'll just say that, that I have today is left over from the anxieties, you know, that I had then. There's a study called, for well, those of you who are older, called epigenics. Uh, anybody here? Epigenics is a transmission of human emotion. Just like when you get the color of your hair, from generation to generation, the color of your eyes, you could also uh, transmit emotions. So if you're a stress case, the kids will be a stress case, blah, blah, blah. My father and my mother, you know, even though they didn't talk about it, were definitely influenced by, you know, the Holocaust, okay? And I'm sure a lot of my stresses today, you know, are related to what happened then. You know, even my approach towards relating to the pandemic we're having right now is much more, much more tenfold than most people's are. A lot of people are worried about that, vaccination, blah, blah, but I am really worried about that. Where does that come from? I mean, I'm smart. I have a doctorate. I'm a psychologist. Everything else, too. And I say, hey, Jack, you know, relax, chill. Everything will be okay. You're healthy. Another part says, oh, my God. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. What do you think that comes from? I think it comes from because everything that happens to you from birth on, from day one, affects you, stays in your brain, okay, and it influences your personality. How did you live in the basement? Well, we had like one big room, and they had like curtains. Those are the questions dividing each of the families, okay, like like shower curtains, and they had a lot of drawers, and we slept in drawers. We didn't have a cribs, we didn't have bassinets. We just pulled out a drawer and we were in the drawer. Did that answer your question? It was pretty tight. I mean, 200 square feet is not very much, okay? It was very, very tight quarters. Yeah. What was your worst memory from childhood? Kids making fun of me. Kids bullying me. Okay, uh, uh, I felt, you know, um, when I was, I mean, when I got older, it wasn't that bad. I mean, I understood why they were doing that. But, you know, in Belgium, when I was seven years of age, and they locked me in the outside bathroom stall. Do you remember I talked about that? 
you know, they wouldn't talk to me. They'd call me dirty Jew. Um, that really hurt. Okay. That's why I think as a psychologist today, you know, I'm very sensitive to other people being in pain, not so much physical pain, but emotional pain. I think, you know, it's very, emotional pain hurts a lot, you know, and I think that goes back to my own pain when I was younger. Did I answer your question? Um, were you scared? Well, I don't remember being scared, but I think, you know, uh, I mean, while we were hiding, um, I'm sure I was. I mean, how would you like to have a sock rolled in your mouth when you're a baby, you know, and you can't breathe very well? I think it's pretty scary. You know, I'm sure I was scared, you know, um, but uh, we, we didn't know any different. You know what I'm saying? That's the way it was. I'm saying that's the way, it was. that's why I was scared. Remember that picture of after the war, my parents holding on to my hands? Why do you think I was holding on so tightly? I was scared. It's like the war is over now. Everything's okay now. Why am I so scared? Because like, this isn't normal. Normal is that black seller. You know, so yes, I was very scared. You know. But I don't remember being scared, but I was. Were you the first person to graduate from your family? Yes, good question, yes. I'm the first person um, to have gone to high school in my family. First person to go to college and first person to get my doctorate behind. Yes, yes. But not my children. <laughs> See, my children, both my son's a psychologist and got a doctor. My daughter has a master's. So, yes. Did you fix your back or legs, or does it still hurt? My legs, as I told you, uh, because I didn't have enough sunshine. And you talk about my, my back still hurts me backstage. But my legs totally fine. They're cool now, I'm saying, because I had vitamin D shots. But after the war, uh, the scoliosis, the curvature of the spine, that remains. That hurts me. But I'm okay. Thank you for asking. I heard you like to travel. What is the best place you had traveled to? Angie, great question, Angie. I miss traveling so much. I love traveling. Uh, best place that I've traveled to? Uh, I've gone to a lot of places. Uh, but I think um, in the United States, the place that I like the best is Hawaii. I find Hawaii very, very relaxing, okay? Um, very enjoyable. Uh, like we to uh, and in Europe, the place that I like the best over here, I think it's more uh, like uh, Switzerland. I enjoy Switzerland too, very pretty place. But I miss traveling. I can't wait to go back traveling. If you saw a Nazi soldier, what would you tell them? Today? Yes. yes. Yeah, uh, that's a very good question. Somebody asked me, um, would you ever go back to Germany, you know, uh, because of what happened in Germany? And they asked me that museum. And, you know, I've traveled a lot and I've lectured at hospitals in Germany when I was two. Um, not every German is a bad person, okay? Not everybody uh, who lives in Germany then was a bad person. Um, uh, you have to take each person at a time, you know, individually. Uh, so if I would see somebody, you know, who's German, I would just treat them like anybody else, I'm saying. And if I saw somebody who was a, a Nazi officer, and they're older than else, I would not want to see them. That would be very painful for me to see them. We learned about how Jews were forced to live in ghettos. Did you ever live in a ghetto? No, but you know, um, our in a way, our basement was a little ghetto. Okay, my parents were taken out of their home and put into a basement. Okay, but we weren't in a ghetto with a whole bunch of other people, just ourselves and our family. But no, I never lived in what was seen as a ghetto, community type of thing. No, but in a way, the basement was a ghetto. We're confined to a small space. That's what a ghetto is, as far as I'm concerned. 
Hi, Dr. Wetter. Uh, I have a couple questions for you. My name is Jasmine, and my first question is, what is your favorite movie? How do you know so much about me? <laughs> uh, um, I like the movie, several movies. I, I like movies, uh, The Diary of Anne Frank, it's a beautiful movie. Um, and I also like a movie called Ordinary People. It's a very special book. I like movies about feelings, okay? I don't like Westerns or scary movies and you know, Marvel comics or that kind of thing too, but I, I like movies that are based on feelings. But I like Diary of Anne Frank and Ordinary People. That was my favorite movie. Did I answer your question? Dr. Weather, what gives you hope? Talking to people like you gives me hope. Uh, talking to people at your school gives me hope because I'm hoping, like I said, by my sharing my story, you become my witness. You know, you hear my story, you can tell other people. Because believe it or not, a lot of people believe the Holocaust never happened. Six million Jews, or even more, that killed during the Holocaust, okay? And how people today can say, it never happened, it blows my mind, okay? So the more people I speak to, this is why I'm in the museum, the more people you speak to say, it really did happen. You know, um, and fortunately now in schools, you guys are being educated about that. Reading a book, you know, uh, if you did, and, and just and hearing me, that makes me very happy that you're aware of what's going on. What would you say to someone who doesn't believe in the Holocaust? Goodbye. <laughs> um, I would ask them why. That's a very good question, by the way. A very good question. Uh, I would ask them why I don't believe it. Mm -hmm. There are a lot, I gotta tell you this, there are a lot of people, adults, older people, who don't want to hear about it. It's too painful to hear about it, okay? Uh, and they just, you know, they don't want to talk about it, I'm saying. And I have to respect that. But to say that I don't want to hear about it is one thing, but to say it never happens is a whole different thing. So my my goal is to say, what is, what is, what do you need to hear to believe that it really did happen? You know what I'm saying? Uh, and why don't you want to hear about it? Okay, my third question is, what advice would you give to kids? About? Just about life. What advice would you give to a... Oh, wow. In one minute or less, those are true. My advice is to be sensitive to other people and be, be kind to other people. Learning to be kind is, being kind is very, very important. I think we have a much better world if people are kind to one another. Being kind and being honest is extremely important. You know, uh, if you're kind, you're not a bully, okay? Uh, and also to be aware of other people's feelings. There's a word called empathy. The word empathy means trying to understand how somebody else feels. If somebody's crying, if somebody's hurt, try to understand why they're crying or why they're hurt. That's what I would tell people. Um, hello again, I'm Mrs. Gorman. I was wondering, I know you lost, or your family, most of your parents' siblings passed away in the Holocaust. Well, all all, have all of them. Yeah. But with like Ancestry.com and things like that, have you been able to connect with like distant relatives, distant cousins? Or is that something that you're interested in? Or is well, you know, ancestry.com tends to, I think, primarily focus in the United States much more than outside the United States. Um, I was very eager to go back to Poland uh, to see my um, my father's town. Okay, that we also it doesn't exist anymore. I mean, basically, uh, uh, when he was born, it was is now part of the Ukraine, uh, and it's totally the cemetery has been desecrated. Everything else, there's nothing left now. Did you see the movie Fiddler on the Roof? Remember the movie Fiddler on the Roof? There's a scene where they, they leave Anatevka, a little town. It's like a little street, basically, a little dirt road, uh, not a big city type thing. Uh, and um, so I, I decided not to go. There was no need for me to go. And I don't want to go to Auschwitz. I don't want to visit cemeteries. Joe does that all the time. Uh, I know they were there. I'm aware of it. Different strokes for different people type thing. 
But no, I didn't. Uh, I know that my father has some, there's very few left because if you think about it, they were killed. So therefore, they, they couldn't have any children. You see what I'm saying? They were killed at a very young age. So again, I don't have any cousins. I don't, I could have had many, but I don't have any. But my wife and my kids. Quality, not quantity, quality. Um, I'm curious if you connected with the woman who hid you guys um, when you ever returned and whatever came about of her husband, the Nazi. Good question. Very good question. Um, I, you know, I never had any to connect with the Joe did, okay? But very interesting. Um, nobody believes that her husband didn't know that she was hiding people in her basement. How is it possible? Well, when Joe's mother, Helen, and my wife, same name, came to the United States, she saw a psychiatrist because she had a lot of post-traumatic stress disorder because of what happened. And she was entitled to German, what's called restitution, money back to the government for the stress that she went through. And Joe, after she passed away, sent me a copy of the psychiatrist's letter, which said, this was about eight years ago, that Mrs. So-and-so is entitled to German uh, reimbursement for what she went through under the hands of this woman and her husband. And I'm going, husband? You know, that's not what I was told. Well, apparently he did know. But the storyline was that he looked away, Nazi all looked away, which makes much more sense to me. In other words, what my parents were told basically was she, he didn't know, only I know, but I want to know what she did with her stash because my father gave her a lot of jewelry, a lot of money, and a lot of silver. Uh, so he did know, uh, but they weren't told that he knew. But no, I've never gone back to see anybody that I don't have. But there's a museum in Israel called Yad Vashem. Are you familiar with Yad Vashem? Are you familiar with it? Yep. Uh, Yad Vashem is a Holocaust museum in, is it, where is it, Jerusalem or Tel Aviv? I don't know where it is. It's in Jerusalem. Jerusalem, okay. Uh, where they have a special wall for the, um, with plaques of all the non-Jews, uh, like Schindler, okay, who rescued, saved the Jews. And the director volunteer said her name belongs on that wall. I didn't know her name, but of course Joe did. So I went back at her name and her name is on the wall. Because if it wasn't for her, I wouldn't be here. She took a big, big chance. I mean, she was a wreck every time she came down. Because if she was found out, her husband got out, they killed her for harboring Jews. Um, yeah, my question is, when did you decide to become a therapist? Um, like, I'm sure your life formed you into your career, but like, when was the moment we said, I want to I want to help people, I want to be a therapist? At birth. No, I'm joking. <laughs> no, uh, I think, you know, uh, I remember going through a good question. I remember going through my drawers. Every once in a while, I would clean my drawers. And I was in the high school, and the question the teacher said, What would you like to be when you grow up? And it was one of the assignments. Uh, and I um, wrote down, I want to be a counselor. And I was only about nine years old then. So I think I always want to be in some kind of helping profession type situation, um, beginning at a very young age. Again, I think, uh, again, psychology is a study of human behavior to try to understand why people can be so cruel to one another. What's the motivation behind that? Thank you. Okay, my second question is, do you know anyone who went to a concentration camp? Oh yeah, I do, a lot of people, yeah. Uh, my, my wife's parents were in concentration camps. Yeah, um, and they had numbers on their hands and everything else too, so I, I know. Yeah. Yeah. Now there, there's, there's three groups, uh, it's maybe too advanced. There's three groups of survivors, people who survived concentration camps. The first group, they all said, um, look at my number, look at my number. I was in concentration camp, look at my number. Second group is called survivor guilt. Why did I live and everybody else died? Why? The third group, it happened, let's move on. And my parents belong to the third group. It happened, let's not forget about it, let's move on. My parents never want to talk about it, which I had to respect them saying. And I'm like that also. I mean, I talk about it, I'm saying, 
But to stay and be miserable and be wretched and be angry and be bitter doesn't serve you know, doesn't serve good. Any other comments, questions? Yeah, Dr. Wetter, um, super humbled and appreciate, I appreciate that you're with us today. Uh, my question is, um, how do you think sharing your story will impact uh, fights against injustices in today's world? One step at a time. Okay, <laughs> so I think you know, um, I, you know, this pandemic comes to mind. What happened in Washington D.C. comes to mind. You know, I, I think one individual can't do anything. Okay, but as a group, you know, we can educate, we can inform, we can advise, we can enlighten uh, as many as we can. Um, but it'll take time. You know, uh, it'll take time uh, to be able to do that. That's why I'm doing what I'm doing. You know, I. I love doing what I'm doing because I'm saying when I hear questions, a lot of questions are terrific. It shows me there's a lot of thought, a lot of insight, and a lot of thinking about you know behind that. Uh, and I think it's much it's much more meaningful to me to survive than to read about a survivor. It's real, you know. I can't tell you how many people after I give my talk want to hug me, want to take a picture with me, and say want to communicate with me because uh, it's it's real. You know, I, I'm real versus just a page in a book like Anne Frank that thing even though she was very, very real. Did I answer your question, my brother? Thank you. What was the most shocking thing of coming to America? What was the most shocking thing when I came to America? The boys wore long pants. <laughs> um, and, you know, uh, that also that, you know, again, sometimes kids can be cruel too. You know what I'm saying? Uh, don't understand other kids. I mean, I mean, it's okay to be different. But I think very young kids, especially in lower elementary grades, okay, lower than your grade, don't understand it's okay to be different. You know, um, they want to be like you. That was shocking. Uh, I'd like people to be more accepting of each other and respectful. This is my second question, and it is, do you think the Holocaust will ever happen again? It's happening now as we speak, okay? It's happening all over the world right now, I'm saying. Um, the, the bombings, the, the synagogues and temples that are being, you know, I mean, um, the neo-Nazi party is going on right now. Um, that's why it's important to nip it in the bud before it gets too too big, I'm saying. Uh, it's happening right now. Will it, will, will it happen to the same extent? Who knows? You know? That's why you have to, when you see a fire, okay, you put it out when it's small. When you let it get too big, you can't put it out anymore. Then we get burnt. Everybody else gets burnt too. But yes, I think it's happening right now. Yes. Thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you, guys. Thank you. It was so nice to have you. We are so lucky to have had you with us. Um, thank you.